Hey, I'm Eric Torenberg, and welcome to another episode of Maker Stories, where we explore what makes the makers, what drives them, what they're scared of, how they make sense of the world, and everything in between. This week's episode is with Jason Fried. Jason is the founder and CEO of Basecamp. In this episode, we talk about building a company that lasts 40 years, what's it like to work with a remote team, how he likes to think of the professional year in terms of seasons, his daily rituals, and how he defines success. Now, Jason spent a lot of time with Jeff Bezos and admires him greatly, but when I asked him who he thinks of when he thinks of the term success, he said he's cleaning lady. I say this just to give a preview of how interesting and wise Jason is. All right, here's Jason. Welcome to Products on Live. Thank you for, for coming on. Of course, my fun, or my pleasure to be here. It's going to be fun. Did you say my fault? I, I, no, I said my fun, which is weird. That's kind of yeah. weird. That's awesome. I <laughs> know uh, the fun is all mine. Thank you. All right. awesome. um, so yeah, a lot of fascinating questions you know, for myself, also from, from some people. I want to start with um, one by Kevin Rose. Um, mm-hmm. You've pioneered many of the tools we use to, to collaborate, you know, project, contact management, chat. If you had more time, uh, is there anything else you'd like to tackle? What would you dream up, improve? What would you reinvent? So that's a really good question. And I have, a, I have an unusual take here, which is that I think that the thing you're working on right now should be your best idea. And if there's another idea that you would prefer to be working on, you ought to be working on that. So I don't actually, at the moment, have anything else I'd rather be working on than Basecamp. I think the problem of how to allow groups to make progress together is a really meaty and interesting problem. Uh, and I live it every day because I, I work at a company. And there's people, and we're all trying to work together. So I think it's a really meaty and important problem because it affects just about every group and every every company is made of groups of people. So I love that as a meaty problem. And I just feel like if you're thinking about the next thing already, you're kind of not into the current thing. And um, I think if you want to do a great job of something, you got to be fully absorbed into that. And you know, I think this is a little bit of a problem actually with um, sort of the entrepreneurial mindset right now, especially in the tech industry where everyone's always like, thinking about their next thing because they're building companies that are only going to be around for three or four years. I want to build a company that's going to be around for 30 or 40 years. We've been around for 16 so far. So if I'm always looking for the next thing in my own company and not focused on what I want to really be be doing now, then I feel like I'm not thinking about the stuff I need to deal with right now. Now, that said, there may be things that come up in the course of the next 20 years that I can solve here as well. Um, but I'm really pumped about about Basecamp three in the in the latest version. I think that's uh, sort of what I what I'm focused on primarily these days. And we're, we're going to get into that. But first, I want to go a little bit back. Uh, when you were uh, in in high school or in college, did you think that you know you'd become an entrepreneur slash author? Uh, I've been an entrepreneur at some level since I've been like 14. Um, sometimes I was selling some illegal stuff when I was younger. Um, I was also selling some legal things. I've always been selling something or making something. I always had this idea that I'd be working on my own at some level. I have had many jobs over the years, um, some part-time, some full-time. After college, I worked for someone else for a while. But I've always known that I'm more built to work for myself. That's just sort of how I'm built. I love working with people, but not for people. And um, so I've always had that feeling, but I didn't know what form it would take. And I still don't know what form it'll take. Like right now, I know what we're doing. In five years, we might be doing something that's slightly different. I just don't know. I kind of always have gone with the flow there. You said selling illegal things? Can you? Can you- yeah, a little bit. Can I, can I elaborate? Uh, I, <laughs> I used to sell um, 
like <laughs> I used to sell like knives and like butterfly knives and like fun stuff like that that like you know young boys kind of like you know when you're 12 or 13 like you just like that kind of stuff so like pocket knives it wasn't technically illegal but it wasn't really legit and like people's parents probably weren't happy that I was selling those things and then we used to sell like um like cigarettes and chewing tobacco before we were 18. Like a friend's brother was 18, he would buy some stuff and I'd go on my bike and deliver it to people who are 17 and 16 and stuff like that. So I've done a bunch of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it's not terribly illegal, but it technically was that kind that's, of stuff. Yeah. That's the tech version of, uh, of like Jay-Z selling crack at like 15. Or <laughs> Basically, yeah. It wasn't, I wouldn't have gone to jail over this stuff, but it wasn't kosher, let's put it yeah. that way. Um, how did you and DHH get to get to know each other? Yeah, so David uh, David was a sort of a fan of the company. The company had existed for for many years, uh, and then um, I posted something on our blog many years ago. I was learning how to code in PHP, and I and I didn't I didn't know how to do some things. I kind of cobbled some stuff together, but I was like, I'm having trouble with pagination. I I don't know how to make it work right, and so. I posted something and David responded uh, via email. I got a bunch of responses from people, but David's was very thorough, very focused, very concise, and really helpful. And I liked the way he explained himself. And then we went back and forth in a few emails. And I really liked the way he continued to explain himself. And we saw some things to eye, eye to eye. He was still in college at the time in Copenhagen. I had a gig that I was doing that I needed some programming help with. And so I hired him to help me with this little project on the side this thing I was building, it was called single file. It was a book management program to keep track of all the books you had. Um, and he did that and we worked together well. And then we did a client project together and we worked together well, and we just kind of kept working together. And then eventually I hired him full time as an employee. And then eventually it be, uh, he became a partner in the company because it was, it was clear there was something extra special about him. And so we, we figured out how to make that work. Yeah. And yeah. What's something that used to, fundamentally believe uh, that you now see as somewhat misguided? Uh, big, I mean, um, hmm, that's a great question. There's, 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 there's a principles I've sort of changed my mind on, um, which I think are more interesting than specific. So I used to be, I used to, when I was listening to someone, I used to always be formulating in my head a way to push back on what they were saying. Like I was just working on my alternative while they were talking about what they believed. And that is a bit of a, it's a disease actually, I think, because it, it, it encourages you not to listen and not to be open to other ideas. And eventually I, I, uh, I had this experience where someone basically said, hey man, give it five minutes. Like before you react to someone, let something sink in for a while and think it through before you're so sure that you're certain that you're right and they're wrong. And, and this took me a while to get, to get into and to get used to, but um, I sort of, maybe about six, seven years ago, maybe, maybe it wasn't that long, I don't know. Yeah, six, five, six, seven years ago, something like that, I had this experience and it changed me since then. I, I'm, very, I'm way more patient, I'm way more interested in what other people have to say, um, and I don't, form I don't come to conclusions quickly. Um, I, 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 I do when I'm, after I've considered everything, but I try to be a lot more considerate than I used to be. So that was, I think that's a, a matter of just growing up a little bit, maturing. Um, how did you train yourself to, to you know, delay that sort of immediate response? I, I was at a conference. I wrote about this a while ago. I was at a conference uh, called the Business Innovation Factory, which is a conference that happens every year in Providence, Rhode Island. It's a really excellent conference. Um, and I, someone was on stage, a guy named Richard Saul Warman, who's the guy who actually started TED and has done a lot of information design work and graphic design work over the years. 
and he was saying some stuff on stage and um, after the talk, I went up to him and tried to like immediately just like push back on some of his ideas. And this is a guy who's in his sixties at the time and had like, he'd seen a lot in the world. He, he's pretty wise. And I, here I am this punk in my thirties, like telling him that he's wrong or whatever I was telling him. I don't remember exactly what it was. And he's like, dude, give it five minutes, man. You haven't even allowed this to possibly sink in. These are, I, these ideas cannot have, cannot have gotten through your mind in two minutes. It's just not possible. And his point was, it's not just five minutes. It's like, give it some time before you're sure. And he goes, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but you've got to give it time to sink in. And so it was that experience. And then, then I just, it just one of those things where I, I just kind of saw the light and it was like, it became more interesting to live that way. I think it's really, really boring to think you're right about everything. It's extremely boring. And it's also very unhealthy. And so that was a really cool moment where I feel like I could, I could be a healthier individual. And it was just an obvious flip in your mind where I should be doing that more often. And I've learned a lot more since then. Do you meditate? Uh, no, I've tried uh, and I, I can't make it work. Um, I will say though, I, there's a book, a wonderful book I'd recommend. Um, the cover is horrible. And if you see the cover, you'll be like, I'm not buying this book. But it's called the Mayo Clinic Guide to Stress-Free Living, I believe is the name of it. And it's by this scientist at the Mayo Clinic um, who, who's written about, um, it's a little bit about mindfulness. It's, it's about like meditation is not a practical solution for most people. It's a wonderful solution for people who really want to practice it. But it's not a practical solution for most people because it takes a long time to really get good at it. And the, and the truth is people don't have a lot of time to get into it. So he has a different way of looking at ways to sort of calm down and think things through. And I think it's a wonderful book. I'd highly, highly recommend everyone check it out. Just don't look at the cover. It's like someone cartwheeling in a field. It's horrible. But the message is fantastic. And it's backed up by some really interesting neuroscience and also some just practical real world examples of, of, of um these two states of the mind and it's, it's anyway, I don't want to go into it too much cause it'll take the whole hour, but uh, it's a wonderful book. I recommend it. And that's the kind of stuff I'm practicing is, is, is his ideas. Uh, without being too much, into, what would you say maybe the one big uh, or one of the biggest takeaways? from it? Yeah. So um, his, his thing is, is that, that there's two, there's two modes to the mind. There's the, the, the default mode and the focused mode. And the default mode is what we're in most of the time. And it's when the mind is wandering. And the mind tends to wander towards worry. You tend to start to worry about things if you have a lot of spare time. Um, and uh, he talks a lot about anxiety creeping in and people thinking about the emails that they're not responding to or the chats or, or like all these things you're not doing, you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing. And it starts to, so, so but the focus mode is, 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 the, is, the, is the mode where nothing else is in your mind except the thing that you're doing. And it might be like if you're looking at a flower really closely, just really studying the flower, you can't have any other thoughts. If you're playing with your kid and you're just like paying close attention to your kid and smiling or something like, you don't have any other thoughts. And the point is, is that your mind is either wandering or focused. And when you're wandering too much, you worry. So his, his technique is how to get you back in more to the focused state. So anyway, that, the big takeaway is a wandering mind is a worried mind. And so it's better to find something to focus on, whatever it is, and uh, it, it clears your mind pretty quickly, and it just puts you in a happier uh, frame of frame of reference for the rest of, of of the moment. So that's in a nutshell what it is. Yeah. And speaking of books, I want to get into remote just a little bit. There's some questions around it. Uh, if you were to publish that, you know, today, you know, a few years after you published it, uh, what would be, you know, if anything, what would be different? You know, how, how has the that world changed 
There's a couple things I would talk about in that book that I think are extremely important. And one of them is um, the value of asynchronous collaboration and communication. Um, right now, there's definitely a trend towards m making everything real time, um, either real time chat or yeah, primarily real time chat, but also just like trying to make everything about now. And um, I find that that's a, ultimately a really unsustainable place to be in. Um, it's, it, it elevates a lot of things to now that do not need to be about now. And I think we would talk a lot more about that because I think it's, it has some deeper implications, especially now as more and more people are exploring ditching asynchronous and going more to, to synchronous or real time. So there'd be a lot of talk about that because I think we, we didn't really touch on that enough in, in the book. And we've learned over the past 16 years that there's some real significant, deep, deep, valuable um, benefits you get from allowing people to think about things for a while before they respond. And I think that's something we would talk a lot more about and uh, something I, I hope to talk more about down the road, but that's an important topic. You know, our team has gone full Slack. You know, a lot of teams have gone full, full real time. You know, what yes. are some things recommend some teams leave to leave to asynchronous? Almost everything except for th four, three or four things. So there are about, Three or four things I think chat is especially good at. Number one, um, quickly hashing something out. Like, I need to throw something in here. I want to get a couple quick opinions or, or just something. Like a quick hash out, but you got to leave. It's like you don't want to be in the sauna all day. Sauna, good 10 minutes, get out or you'll die, basically. So, like, um, quick hashing things out, really good at that. It's also really good at um, the social aspect of work. People kind of goofing off and having fun. I think that's that's another key key part of it that that's really valuable. Uh, another one is asking a question out loud when you don't know who has the answer or where to find the answer. Like, hey, anyone know what this error message means? Or hey, anyone know the technique to center this text vertically or whatever? Like, you don't know who to talk to necessarily, but you know someone around will hear the answer or hear it and have an answer. And the last one is like red alerts. Stuff that you really, really, truly, absolutely have to know about right now, like uh, a busted something or like something that you would in way back in the day would have like a beeper for, like a really, truly important moment that you need to hear about right now. I think everything else is a huge step backwards and ultimately a, a, a very dangerous place to be. I think chat leads to significant fear of missing out. The fact is that you feel like you have to be watching this thing all the time or you're not going to be able to contribute. And if you don't contribute now, it's off on the conveyor belt and you won't be able to contribute later. So people are constantly, they have one eye on the chat room and one eye on their work. And I think that that's a really dangerous way to, to I think it's a dangerous, yeah, dangerous way to treat your mind. I think it's unfair to your mind, actually, to have this idea of continuous partial attention. I think it's a really dangerous thing. Um, I think that there's a bunch of other things. I think it's, first of all, like, fatiguing and exhausting. Um, I hear this from a lot of people, the feeling that they, they're basically in an all, if you're, if you have a chat room open, you're in an all day meeting with an unknown set of participants with no agenda. And that is a really, really heavy thing to deal with um, all day long. So you've got that, I can keep going. But um, the other thing is, I'll add one more thing, which I think is important, is that chat really encourages you to think one line at a time. And that is not the way to really think deeply about things. And I think that most things that are worth discussing are worth discussing carefully, thoughtfully, and over time. And uh, chat doesn't allow for that. Um, 
there's some other stuff too, but that, I'll actually add one more, because one more thing that's on my mind about this we've seen internally, and by the way, the reason I'm saying this stuff is we've actually had, um, back in 2006, we launched Campfire, which is kind of the first modern chat tool, and um, we've been around chat as a company longer than pretty much any company around today. So we've had, we've sent nearly 10 million lines back and forth in our company alone. Um, so we've learned a ton about this. and. One of the really other dangerous things about chat is that there's this idea of implied consensus, which is that if it's set in the chat room and nobody pushes back on it, then you assume that everyone's seen it and agreed to it. But that is not the case, primarily because people have different schedules, people have different windows of availability, and not everybody sees everything all the time. But this idea of implied consensus happens in these places, and it's, it's kind of dangerous. So I'm actually writing up a pretty long um, essay on this, which hopefully I'll be able to post in a couple weeks, maybe next week or the week after, which will go into detail about all these things. Um, anyway, I think, it's, I think these are really in, important topics. And I think as teams begin to shift more towards real time as the primary method, they'll begin to feel these things. And they'll be, a, they, they'll be able to sense that something's wrong, but they don't know what. Um, and I want to kind of explain some of the things that we've learned over the past 10 years about, about the pitfalls of this and also some alternatives on how to deal with these things. And is there any way, you know, you talk to companies like Slack and incorporate asynchronous elements into the box? I'm sure they could. Yeah, I'm sure they could if, if that's if that's a direction they want to go in, right? So, um, it, it, you know, all, it's all software. Everything's possible. It's a matter of, you know, different points of view on how to work. And so... If the primary point of view with something like Slack or HipChat or, or many other chat tools is that the stream, the real-time stream is where the value is, then I would imagine they would continue to invest in that. Um, uh, I believe that chat is an extremely valuable piece of the communications puzzle, but a very specific one. Um, and uh, you, I think you have to be very careful about trying to use it for everything. And so... With, with Basecamp, for example, Basecamp 3 has chat built into it, but it also has asynchronous communication built into it. Plus, you can also have conversations in context. So one of the other problems with chat is that conversations in chat rooms are not contextual. Um, they might be contextual to the room name or the channel name, but you don't know in a room what's currently being discussed. And if you scroll back and find a chunk of conversation, you don't know if you've rehashed that three weeks ago or four weeks ago or... 420 scrolls back because um, there's no context. And so Basecamp is all about, in a lot of ways, it's about context, but we also have chat in it. So it's, it's, I, I believe that the, the, the optimal way of work to work is real-time sometime, asynchronous most of the time, and context all the time. That, to me, is the real secret, in my opinion, to having groups make significant progress together and not feel like they're on this never-ending treadmill conveyor belt. So it's it's a it's a bit um, there's a philosophy behind it, but I I I've, I believe this thoroughly and fully, and I think ultimately what you're going to see is there's going to be a few different ways to work that become like certain teams and certain groups feel this is the way, certain teams certain groups feel this is the way, and there'll be these alternatives, which is wonderful. Um, so I think I think that's all all very healthy and good. Yeah, I want to ask some uh, broader questions about you as an entrepreneur and advice to other entrepreneurs. Uh, first, take me through the uh, the first sixty minutes of, of your day. Um, my morning, which okay, so so they're kind of mixed, and the main reason they're mixed now is because we we had a kid about six seventeen months ago, 
And so like my mornings are shots. Like I, I don't have mornings anymore, basically. But I'll take you back. I'll take you to what it used to be and what I'd like it to be, um, which is that, you know, first of all, any, any day you wake up is a good day. So, so that's, that's um, a big part of it. So just waking up. Um, but I'm going to start about talking about the morning by talking about the night before. Because I think that, that the morning is all about the night before. And I thoroughly believe in getting a full good night's sleep, eight hours at least, um, if you can. But really going for that. And there's sort of an epidemic in our industry of people feeling like they, they can not sleep. And they, they wear it as a badge of honor that I, I don't sleep. I work 18-hour days. And I only got four hours last night. Like, you're an idiot if that's what's happening over the time. And actually, if you're not an idiot, you'll actually become an idiot because your brain will stop working, basically. Like, this... Biology kicks in at some point. Sleep deprivation is one of the most debilitating things that can possibly happen. It's like if they're trying to get a criminal to speak, withholding sleep is far more effective than withholding food. Um, So it's really important that you get a good night's sleep. So the morning starts with the night before. Um, So I always try and get a good seven, eight hours in. Um, And then then I I try not to like pick my phone up the first thing I do in the morning. I, I just feel like Shining a bright light in your eye the first thing in the morning is probably not a good idea. And um, I'll typically go downstairs and either make uh, make an espresso or I'll make some uh, some matcha green tea. I've got like a little bit of a matcha habit, um, and I'll, and I'll do that. And and um, I'll kind of hang out a little bit for a while. And I won't start to get into work like real work until nine thirty ish. But I'll sort of start to check in on some things, read up on a couple things around eight thirty. So I'll get up at like seven, let's say. I find though that my I'm most creative at night, so. I will often skip hours of work during the day and then come back to some stuff at night. So my day is sort of staggered based on when I've found I'm most productive. So when I'm not most productive, I'll typically be working on, and this happens in the morning a lot, more administrative tasks, more stuff that doesn't take a lot of creative thinking, just stuff I need to do. So I kind of reserve that for the mornings and early afternoons. And then later afternoons or at night, I'll I'll work on sort of more creative stuff like writing or designing or thinking strategically, something like that. Um, but I used to, I used to be a little bit more ritual in the morning, but it's just kind of a mess now. And have you found over time that you're more creative at night or sleeping just help with it or? Yeah, I think it's because it's dark out. Um, and I think it's because there are just fewer distractions typically at night. Things are hushed down a bit. Um, and there's something about that. I think that, that does it for me. It's like, if you close your eyes, you can think deeper. Um, like your your brain actually has more. Like I don't know if this is totally true, but I've heard I might be off a little bit. But like your your ocular nerve takes like ten percent of your brain power. Just seeing takes a lot of brain power. So some people you instinctively like you close your eyes when you want to think of something really hard. Um, and uh, I feel like nighttime is sort of like that, where it sort of it 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 turns off a lot of things visually that um, normally would would be occupying cycles in your mind. And so it just kind of helps me at least just sort of get into a zone a little bit more. And I also just know that it's, it's chill. People are sleeping. Other people aren't working. It just, it has this, this, this vibe to tonight that helps me think better. And it's not something I decided to do. It's just something I've learned about myself over the years. And so I, I think it's important to optimize your schedule around your natural balances or your natural cycles. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm very, very much into trying to make sure that our business and individuals follow their natural cycles, including seasons and a variety of other stuff, which we can get into if you want, but it gets a little bit weird. So I'll happily stay away from some of that. Get into this concept. Tell us more about natural. Yeah. Um, I believe that, um, 
businesses and people um, have seasons and cycles. So um, I think that people have summers and forget like what, forget summer being a certain set of months, but you have summers. Summers are when like you're feeling really good and you're excited about the stuff you're doing and like you have that. And then you also have fall, which is like you're excited, but you're kind of coming to an end of, of something. And then you've got winter where it's like um, maybe you're a little bit more introverted or maybe you're a little bit more sort of insular or maybe you just need some downtime. Like I think it's I think the idea that people are running at full capacity all the time, all year round, just it it's not. It's, it's just not a natural thing. And, and I think sometimes we think that we can fake nature out and I, I, I'd rather work with it. I think it's pretty damn smart. Um, and so even at our company, we're sort of seasonal in some of the things we do. So for example, May through October um, or May through September, uh, we, we do four day work week. So everyone gets Friday off in the summers, right? And we used to do it all year round. Um, but we found that like, when you do something all year round, it becomes routine and then you don't appreciate it at some level. And so when, you know, I, I remember when I was growing up, I looked forward to the summers, like school's up and you've got the summer break and you've got summer and you do something else. And so we do that at the company. So we do the four day work weeks in the summer because it's something to look forward to, something to get excited about. And then, you know, it comes to an end and then like, it's a good time to shift into, into sort of more focused work again. So I just think that people and companies and, and products and all these things have seasons and it's good to respect that and not fight too much against it. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any other, uh, you know, daily rituals or, or weekly rituals that, you know, whether personally or professionally? Um, I try to set aside at least like five hours a week to just thinking. Um, and, and that means that like part of my job is to think. And uh, I, I think it, it, it seems it seems like that is a luxury these days, which I, I find to be unfortunate that people have time to think things through and to consider fully as a dedicated slice of time versus trying to sprinkle thinking out throughout the day in small, tiny pieces. Cause that's all the time you have because things are going by you really fast and you've got to react. Um, so at base camp in general, we're a very sort of deliberate company. We try and think things through and I believe in like making sure people have enough space to think. Um, and not just react and not knee jerk on things. So um, that's kind of something I really take very seriously is trying to make sure that I just have time to think. And I set that aside. Either I do that. I, it's not like I do it every day at three or something like that. Cause I also, again, want to respect my own sort of cycles. Like sometimes what I eat for lunch has a big effect on my, how I feel in the afternoon. So if I'm, if I normally would think at two, but I had that kind of a crappy lunch and I'm sort of tired, I don't want to think when I'm tired. So I'll push that off to when I have more energy, things like that. So it's just about paying attention to who you are and what you're doing and how you feel. I think that those are, um, that's a really important just ritual in itself, which is um, feeling yourself and paying attention to yourself. That, and, and being on top of that, I think is actually the most important ritual versus like I do the same thing at three every day, um, that sort of thing. Take us through the, the, the thinking process. When you're taking five hours a week to do that, is it, you know, do you put a, a topic on the whiteboard that's time to think about it or do you kind of just relax and let ideas come to you or? Yeah, um, it's not, so yeah, that's a, that's a great question and it's kind of a weird one to answer because um, I don't actually know. What I typically do is I set aside some time and stuff fills my mind and then I, I, I go after the things that I think are interesting. So right now I'm thinking a lot about um, 
uh, sort of the value of I, I'm realizing I, I'm the, the value of asynchronous collaboration. I'm, I'm I'm thinking a lot about that right now because it's really it's something that I keep noticing is a, a real valuable thing, and I've never really thought about how to explain it clearly, explain the benefits of it clearly. So it's just something that's on my mind. And so when I set a time set aside time to just think, that naturally fills the space. And then when I've thought that through, it naturally goes away and something else will come into my mind. So like last year, something I thought a lot about is, do I want to be a CEO of a company? Um, because I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm sort of really miss product work. Um, do I want to be CEO? Uh, and I realized I do want to be CEO, but what I don't want to do is a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff that, that was taking up a lot of my time. So I want to get more back into product and more into strategy. And I kind of just like, this sort of filled my mind at some point. Something happened where I just started thinking about this thing and then like it ran its course and then it left. So I, I try not to be too deliberate about like, I must think about this today because I think that forcing, this is again about like following the natural rhythms of things, forcing, forcing something, it just feels contrived at a certain level. And I want to just kind of like paying, again, this comes back to paying attention. Like if something's on my mind, um, it's probably worth thinking about. And so uh, if it's not in my mind and I have to shove it into my mind, it's probably not as worth thinking about. So that's kind of how I approach that. I know it's like, I feel like sometimes everyone wants really sort of clear strategy, tactical techniques. Like if you do this, this will work. But I think the one I would always say is just pay attention to yourself. Um, everyone's very, very different. And um, paying attention to yourself is like the best thing. It's like kind of some sort of self-awareness is the best sort of tool that's the real tool is getting getting into that, I think, is, is the important technique. Yeah. I'm also I, I, I try to once a week on a Saturday typically do a, a sort of screen free, you know, no phone or email. Uh, you know, people have been taking days of rest for thousands of years and uh, yes. it seems to yes. have been working. Um, I'm curious, you know, broadly, when you think of uh, when you hear the term success, who uh, who who comes to, to mind um, this is going to maybe sound strange, but, um, my cleaning lady. So, um, my, my cleaning lady has been, uh, I've had her for about 20 years now. She's been working for me. She comes once a week to our house and she's just like the happiest person, just happy. Um, she loves her job. She works on her own. She lives within her means. She is excited about, she likes to clean. She actually likes cleaning a lot. Um, and she's happy to see us. We're happy to see her. Like, I just, that's the person who pops into my head. Um, and, and, you know, it's not that she doesn't go through bad times and it's not challenging and her, her life isn't, isn't, isn't easy. I'm certain of that. I, I know that for a fact. But um, she feels successful as hell. Um, and, wow, that, that's what it is. And that, she, she feels it. Um, and that's great. That's what it means to me. So like, to me, it's about like, you know, are you content? Are you, and I don't mean that in like a settling way, but like, have you reached the point where you're just happy doing what you're doing and you enjoy doing it most of the time and you'd like to do it again many days in a row? Like that's, that's success to me. Um, it's not financial. It's not, uh, ego driven success. I mean, there's always a little bit of that that pops in cause we're humans and stuff, but that's who pops into my head. And then I've got another friend who's, um, as a trainer who's the same way. He's just like, just a happy dude. He's got two kids now. He's had a second baby. He's just a happy, happy, happy guy. 
every day is a wonderful day for him. He's got great opportunities in his life. He's made, made something for himself. He's never going to be extremely wealthy. He doesn't, it's not even a thing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like, he just gets to smile every day and he gets to go home to a great family that he loves. And like, that is it. So that's the kind of stuff that comes into my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I'm going to start. Yeah. I just flashed back to uh, my parents cleaning lady who is also incredibly happy and a real craftsman about <laughs> and very successful. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, yeah. are you know, mostly asking, uh, you know, when people say, how can I become successful? They think more like, how can I become like you or like, you know, Jeff Bezos or, or whoever. Um, yeah. But how can people become yeah. more like, you know, your person, your friend that's the trainer or your, your cleaning lady? Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of that comes down to just simply paying attention uh, to, to sort of who's around you. And, and this comes back to the give it five minutes thing again. Like, because Jeff Bezos is enormous, I mean, it'd be hard to say he's not successful, right? There's like a clear definition in, uh, sort of of success that he has. And he also may ex be extremely content and, and all those things also, right? But like, um, it's easy to define him as successful, um, but that's actually a pretty slim definition. And it, the other thing about it is it's a definition of success that very, very, very few people ever achieve. And so I think it's a really shallow definition. It's hard to attain that. And most likely you will not get there. Like there's a dozen people in the world at that level, maybe a hundred, I don't know, right? The odds are so stacked against you. So if you think that that's the only way, then you're gonna be miserable. Um, so, you know, the, great, the good news is, is that there's, there's, there's examples everywhere of people who are, who are happy, as long as the definition isn't so above everybody that everyone has to be a superhero to be successful. So I think you got to just reframe the definition and not think it's about being a superhero, but instead it's being happy with what you're doing, happy with where you are. Um, sure. You still want to get better and you still want to grow, but that's part of it too. Um, and, and, you know, smiling and feeling good about what you do and feeling good about the work you do and having, taking a real pride in your job and your life and your family and all those things. That definition is far more attainable. And I think there's, I guarantee everybody who's listening right now, there are a dozen people orbiting that, you're orbiting you who are wildly successful, who actually forget wildly, we don't even need to add that superlative, just successful around you that you may not even consider because your definition is wrong. So I think that's the thing, change the definition. Yeah. And I'm curious, are there uh, things or activities that you consider to be, uh, you know, a real waste of time that other people may not consider? Um, I don't know. Um, I think one of the sort of really good skills to develop in life is to figure out what's worth doing and what isn't. Uh, and most things aren't actually worth doing. Um, now that's a super broad and general statement. That's like impossible to, to like quantify or qualify or whatever. Um, but a lot of things we spend our time on is, is wasted. And, and I know this because like, to bring it back to work for a moment, when we work in the summer, when we do our 32 hour work weeks versus 40, um, just about the same amount of work gets done, then gets done in 40 weeks or 40 hours. And the point is, is that when you have less time, you squeeze out a lot of stuff that doesn't actually matter. And what you're left with is the stuff that does. And so, when I hear people working, talking about working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, first thing I think is you're wasting a lot of time. 40 hours is a ton of time to get all the stuff that matters done. 
And there's a lot of extra time you're probably spending. And I, got, I think a lot of people are wasting a lot of time paying attention to chat, paying attention to conversations that don't need to happen right now. And what's happening is, is that you have less and less time to actually do the work. So you end up spending more hours, not because there's more work to do, but because you're not actually doing the work anymore during the day. Um, and so you have to expand your hours to finally get to the stuff you were supposed to do during the day that you were paying attention to things that didn't matter. So I've just found that compression, actually, when you compress something, like you squeeze out a lot of the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And what you're left with is the core. And so getting used to and getting good at that is, is, is takes a lot of years of practice. And I, I'm still practicing it, but I feel like I'm getting better and better at it over time. But being conscious of like every, every time, you like even for a week, a good way to do this is like for a week, be extra vigilant about your attention. And don't think about time, think about attention. And say, what deserves my attention right now? Because time and attention are two very different things. Um, time, let's say for, for sake of argument, you have eight hours a day of time. You probably have three to four hours a day of attention. You have less attention than you have time because every time you context shift, you lose moments where you can actually pay attention. And, and um, you know, context shifting is, is, is a very, uh, it's, it erodes a, a lot of focus and, and it's, it's, it's really bad for your day, I think, for the most part. Um, a little bit is fine and it happens, but too much of it and you just chip away at the edges of, of other attention. So think about your attention versus your time and um, keep it like really be vigilant. Do I need to do this right now? Is this worth my attention? Because your attention is a zero sum game. You have to basically pay full attention to something if you really are giving it your attention. Time you can spend on a bunch of things at once. You can multitask, but multitasking is not paying attention. So um, I think that's how I think about it. Respect your attention and pay attention to it and see what happens with that. I really have been thinking about this, especially especially the chat component, because you know I think I'm saving so much time by not, not emailing my team, but really I'm just on chat all day. <laughs> well, what happens is, let me, let me get a little bit deeper on that, and that's true. The other thing is, is that every time you speak up in a chat room, typically, um, in settings and all the different products are different, the whole thing, but you're, you're incrementing an unread something on for someone else. So your, your little thing is ultimately an opportunity to pull someone else away from what they're doing. And so the thing is, is that in group chat, especially one little thing is shot out to nine, 10 people at once. Everyone else is probably doing something else. And now that little, that little thing is like interrupted people and, it, and you could say, well, they don't have to be paying attention, but that's the whole part of point of chat in many ways is that it's real time. And so if you're not paying attention to it, there are better ways to talk. So it's like, this is the thing is that it, it has, it ricochets. Like every time you say something, it ricochets in eight directions, if, assuming there's eight people, and it creates an opportunity for other people to be distracted as well. So we're extremely careful about that here, and we still aren't great at it. We still like fall into the trappings of, of that. But um, I, I, I just consider the impact of statements and tossing links in and stuff that aren't necessary all the time and think about like how that actually impacts people on the outside. So um, just keep it in mind for even just try it for a week. Like what if we were quieter and what if we were more asynchronous where I wrote something somewhere else in a medium that was not requiring people to be paying attention to it at the moment. Um, but we, we checked, maybe email is probably not the best 
path either, but let's say you did. Let's say you went back to email for a week and said, we're going to check our email three times a day, and the rest of the time we're just going to work on the things we're supposed to be working on. Like, what would actually happen? It's sort of a, it's an interesting moment to think about that. And you, you probably, there'd be some withdrawal. You're like, I need to ask people stuff all the time. But you're like, do I really need to ask, get this answer from someone right now? So it's just a matter of like experimenting with that again and getting a feel for it. So anyway, um, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-chat at all. Like we have chat in Basecamp. I'm anti-chat as a hammer for every nail. I think that's the problem. And I think a lot of people are sort of trying to use them for too many things right now. It'd be cool if there was a sort of, and maybe there is, it's not using it, sort of buffer for, for these types of things. Even email would like all of the emails would come in at a certain time when I allocated. Like this is when I'm going to check my email. And yeah, before that's cool. that. Yeah, that's cool. It's almost like I mean, it's basically like a digest. It's similar to like old school uh, email uh, newsletters where you can like subscribe to a digest. You know, like I can absorb this stuff once a day or twice a day. Every six hours, send me a summary, something like that. Like um, that's a very, 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 very few things need to be dealt with right now. Very few things. Um, yet the medium can cause you to elevate everything to that level of criticality. And that's sort of the problem, I think, sometimes. So anyway, just riff on that. Yeah, let me ask this. Uh, and this, this is a broad question that tells me what you think about the world a little bit. If you were coming out of college in 2015, uh, giving the skills and interests that, that you, you know, that you have, uh, would, what, what would you do first? Would you, you know, start building Basecamp right away? Would you build something else? Would you go work at Facebook or some other company to build your skills? What, yeah. You know, what do you think? It's a really, really good and important question. Um, I think first of all, you've got to know who you are, but you might not know who you are yet. That's that's the thing. I remember when I was when I was twenty one and coming out of school, I didn't really know. I knew I kind of wanted to do something by, by myself, but I actually ended up taking a job. So I moved to I went to school in Arizona. I went to San I moved to San Diego and took a job as a web designer at this company for three months. Even though I knew in my heart that I was an entrepreneur, I went and did this because it was like steady pay, and that was actually a good experience for me because it 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 it, it clarified a lot of things for me. So um, uh, I think that one thing I would actually suggest people do is not immediately go to work. I think that it might be nice for a year to do a little bit of traveling if you can afford to do that or to do something real shoestring that's not work for a year um, because I think it's good to take a pause from like spending your whole life actually working at school and then like switching to a new job, which is working out of school and just having a little buffer. But by the time you get back to that, I think it'd be about like, who are you and how do you feel about things? Like there's no question that going to work at a company like Facebook would be valuable. There's just no question in my mind that that would be an extremely valuable experience. And there's, there's parts of me who wish that I had that experience um, or working at Google or working at, you know, some big, huge corporation just to see what that world's like. And also to be, you know, certain corporations like Facebook, certainly and Google have incredibly smart people. And just to be able to soak that in and feel that would, I think, be extremely valuable. So I, I would, you know, if you don't have this immediate, actually, the way I would look at it is this. If you don't have an idea that you really care about right now, don't start a business. Instead, go work somewhere until you have the idea. Um, there's a lot of people who want to play entrepreneur. They don't know what the hell they want to do yet, but they want to play entrepreneur. And so they, they just kind of like pivot around, you know, and it's like, 
go work somewhere else and get some wonderful experience and get around some smart people and you may meet your future founder or you may meet a future coworker, you know, go, go do that. I would, unless you have this burning thing that you need to fix in the world um, and no one else is doing it and it's going to take you to get it done. So that'd be, that'd be my Even before that in uh, college, you, know, you have kids, will your kid go, go to college similar to, to Stanford or Harvard? Yeah, I think, I think higher education is, is very broken. Um, and I would assume, so my kid's like just about a year and a half old. There's no chance that he's going to look, he's going to go to a school like I went to. Um, and what, what I mean by that is like a big university that has a traditional sort of thing. I just, I think if that happens, it's going to be a real failure, societal failure. I think that to me, what schools should be teaching, and some schools do do this, by the way, but I'm talking in general, um, problem solving is the, should be the major. Um, it, it shouldn't be like anything other than that because everything changes. Problems don't go away though. And the way you can be a critical thinker and look at something and try to figure out how to solve it, that's the real skill. Like if you study computer science, five years, six years later, there's gonna be a new language that comes out. And yeah, you might understand computers and you might understand some of the logic and stuff that goes into that. But um, the real thing is you need to be a problem solver. Um, and if you really love computers and you love programming, you can learn the languages on your own. Um, but you don't know what the language is going to be, you know? So like, and the same thing is true for a lot of, a lot of skills that you, you do in school and then the world changes and like that skill doesn't matter anymore. Problem solving as a skill, I think will all, I mean, it'll always be relevant. Um, certainly artificial intelligence and computers might solve some of the problems. Uh, but you know, if that's the case, like the only safe job then is to be a plumber. And that's not a bad idea either, actually, which is to take up a very specific trade that can't be replaced by robots because it does appear that robots and artificial intelligence may take up a lot of information jobs down the road too. So there's some really interesting things there, but I think solving problems will always be a premium, always be at a premium. Um, and people will always want people around them who, who can see the world and see a different solution, figure out how to navigate problems and, and solve them. So that's that those would be the skills I'd love for anybody to work on and invest in. And I just don't feel like the higher education system is really built around that so much, unfortunately. How do you make, you mentioned artificial intelligence, how do you make sense of how, you know, humans and how we'll be able to interact with it? What are you excited about or, or scared about or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know enough about it. I, I think it's, it's probably going to be a mix of, gr of great and bad. Just, just like most most things, um, uh, a lot like uh, you know, uh, it's it's. I, I'm talking like way out of school because I, I don't I don't know enough about it. But I think I think that um, there certainly are a lot of things that I'm sure computers can do better than humans, um, and that humans would be better spending would be better at spending their time on, and and so outsourcing or offloading some of those things I think would be really valuable. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, who knows like what it looks like? I, I think it is. I think like I understand like Elon Musk and uh, who is it? Uh, Musk is nervous about it. Bill Gates is nervous about it. Like it's scary. It's this new thing. It's like it's actually the first competition we, we may have ever had as a species. Not ever, but actually in the last what 50,000 years or something like actually true. There's no other intelligent beings at our level on this planet. And we've seen what an intelligent being, us, can do to the planet and do to other species, which is we typically hold them down and destroy them. Like, unfortunately, we're destroying the planet in a lot of ways. 
we're killing a lot of species, we're treating the planet very with very with a big lack of respect. That's because of our intelligence. And that's what makes me a little bit nervous about something that's as intelligent or potentially more intelligent than us, is we've seen what intelligence does. It's good for the host, bad for the guests. So we consider ourselves the hosts of this planet, unfortunately, and it's bad for the guests. So I'm curious about what will happen with another intelligent, sentient sort of concept amongst us. What's going to happen there? So I'm nervous about that. I don't know. It'll probably be great, too. Who knows? Interesting. Interesting times, for sure. And on, uh, on that optimistic note, we'll close the interview. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to die. Yeah. Uh, a, few, a few more questions. So I'm, I'm curious how, um, you know, you've written a lot about being a, uh, you know entrepreneur, and there's a lot of literature about, about that just in general. How have you thought about, um, you know, being a, or educating yourself as a, as a father? Yeah, it, it's taught me that... Um, it actually has changed. I mean, my son's really young, so like I don't, I don't have, I can't talk to him yet. I mean, I can talk, but he can't really talk back yet. So, uh, but 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 I but I, I get the sense that my job on this planet is clearer in some ways, which is like helping someone hopefully see things in a unique way and solve problems and and help to guide someone through the world a little bit, and so they become a, a great human being, um, and. And sort of not solve not solve their problems for them, but help them figure things out on their own. Sort of, uh, and I'm seeing that as really my job ultimately as a C- CEO of a company too. Which is, if I'm jumping in and trying to fix everything, or if I'm jumping in and trying to solve everything, or I I see the solution and I know it's clear, but someone else is working on it, and I jump in and solve it for them. I'm not helping them at all. I'm not helping anybody. Um, I should help where I'm needed. Um, and I should help other people see things that they might not be able to see yet. Like those are the things that I've realized are really valuable traits, the things that I can do. Sort of serve as like an editor-in-chief where I'm just kind of helping guide things and keep things sort of pointing in the right direction and helping people see something that they don't see or consider a point they haven't considered and and sort of sitting back and speaking last actually in many ways is sort of what I'm trying to do more of and I've noticed that if I was an overbearing parent and telling my kid exactly what to do and holding him away from making a mistake, and I'm already like r- struggling with this, where I see my kid, he's like, I know he's going to hurt himself in one second because he's going to like bump his head in this corner, but I got to let him do that actually, uh, and then he'll know for himself not to do it again, or he may have to do it three times, but he'll know. But if I always pull him away from that corner, he'll never learn anything, and I think that that's true in, in at work too. Um, so I, I've had a tendency in the past to like if I see something going off the rails early or like if I see an idea that's I think the obvious solution, but people can't see it, I would tend to jump in and like present that or suggest that. But I'm, I've learned to kind of stand back a bit um, and help maybe nudge people to it. Like if you can imagine someone's looking this way and if I can just kind of turn them a little bit so their eyes are facing forward and they see something else that was out of their field of view before, that's it. That's what I think my my job is in a lot of ways, and so I, I think that having a kid has sort of taught me that in some ways. So, how did you come to realize? Well, I wasn't always best at that or good at that, and I'm not sure I am good at it yet either. Um, but I mean, like I've been doing this since I've been like doing website design, software design, pro or programming stuff, computery things for like you know uh, twenty years now. So since about ninety six, really. Um, is when I graduated college. And um, uh, I, I've changed a lot over the years and learned a lot of things. I used to be a lot more hands-on with the work itself. 
and my skills there have like atrophied at some level. I'm slower at, at like building things than I used to be personally because I've just I haven't been in it as much. So my skills have changed, um, and you have to be okay with that. And sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm annoyed that I can't build something that I used to be able to build. Like I could, but it would take me an extra two weeks, and I'm like I don't have the time to do that. So I end up delegating it to somebody else, and it's like. I really struggle with that sometimes, but I also just recognize that that's just how my job has evolved and I need to be, again, be aware of that and not fight it and just be like, this is the way it is. And if I want to get back into doing the work permanently, I can't be the CEO of a company. Um, I probably would have to start my own company, um, like again, by myself doing consulting or something like that. Um, so I don't, it's more of a it's skill development over time and you get better at different things and you plateau at certain things and just being aware of that, I think is really valuable. What do you think you are best at? Um, I hope that it's, I hope clarity is what I'm best at, which is explaining my thoughts clearly, communicating things clearly to other people and helping people see things clearly. Like that's what I hope I'm really good at. It's what I pride myself in. So I, I certainly hope I'm good at that. And it's what I really enjoy getting better at. Um, so that's it in many ways. And how do people get better at knowing What's worth doing? Uh, I think looking back at what you've done and going, where do we end? Where do we start? Where do we end up? And what do we do in the middle? And like, could we have ended up somewhere a lot faster? Like, what, 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 what was all the stuff in the middle? And I think that's the thing you got to look at. Is like, what was the stuff in the middle that that we had? We felt we had to do to get to the conclusion. Um, and can we sort of skip that, or skip out, skip most of that, or skip much of that? to get to a conclusion sooner. Because I think it's a lot of stuff in the middle like that ends up taking a lot more time than it needs to. Um, again, it's not like a specific thing. It's just like a, it's a, because it, it, there are no, or, there are very, very few direct recommendations I can give somebody where it's like, yeah, that's how you do it. Like it's, these are, this is a process, it's a frame of mind, it's a mindset, it's, it's, it's a way you approach the world, it's the way you look at things. And those things are, are, are the products of many in different inputs. And so it, it's, it's just, a, it's, like, it's like, how do you get better at, at playing the guitar? Well, you say you practice, but what does that mean? Like, what do you practice? Well, people practice in different ways. There's deliberate practice. It's like every time you make a mistake, you've got to go back and fix that before you move on. There's other practice where you play the whole song and you try and get a whole song right versus like a certain chord or a certain, you know, uh, measure. Like, there's different ways to practice. And there's different techniques and some of those things would involve like strengthening your fingers or strengthening your hand-eye coordination. And it's like too hard to be like, you can't say if you do this at guitar, you will be better at it. It's more like, how do you want to approach practicing? Um, it's kind of, I guess, a nice, a nice way to think about this. Like, how do you, how would you approach getting, figuring out what's, 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 um, what's important is to look back at the things you've done and, and reconsider them and go, was it worth doing all that work? Did we just do it because we thought we were supposed to? I see a lot of designers go through these extensive, extensive wireframe processes and like extensive research processes, like because they think that you have to do that all the time. And there might be some times when you have to do that, but a lot of things you can just make a call on, think about it for a day or two, and make a call, and you could save yourself four weeks. And as you figure that stuff out, you might realize that I don't need to do all these things that don't matter. I thought they mattered because I thought it was part of a process I had to do, but as I look back on it now, I realized that I was just kind of going through the motions. And so I think fi figuring out how you can cut out the going through the motions feeling, it will get you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an awesome note to end on. Jason, thank you for a fantastic 
interview. Any last-minute plugs people should know of what's upcoming on your end? Uh, plugs. I mean, Basecamp three is is our is our thing. It's it's the best version we've ever made before. And people who've looked at Basecamp in the past, you should look at it again because it's very different. Uh, has a very different point of view than most things you're probably used to working on today. So I'll throw that pitch in and plug in, and um, that's it. I, I just think you know, ha have a great day, have fun. Thanks for for having me on here. This is always I love answering questions like this. And by the way, your questions are really really good uh, questions that hadn't been asked before. So I I, I feel really good right now. So that was fun. Thank you so much for having Thank me. You. I appreciate it. Jason. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.